Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. morning church today's reading is taken from john 9 35 to 41 when i am done i would say this is the word of the lord please respond by saying thanks be to god jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when he found him he said do you believe in the son of man who is he sir the man asked tell me so that i may believe in in him Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you will not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. um... Yeah, Wendy. Just blank, like blank. Sorry, sorry, my dear. And we thanks for that uh, wonderful, wonderful song as well. Okay, good morning, everyone. Yeah, it's been a while since I stood. I, I almost feel like I've forgotten how to preach, listening to the other guys that are there. But hopefully, God will help us this morning. If you are here, watch me with us for the first time. I am happy that you joined us. My name is Femi, and we've been doing a series where we are trying to understand the person of Jesus even more by examining conversations that Jesus had with specific people. And uh, today we're going into a very nice one. Last week we looked at a blind Jesus with um, a blind man. And we're looking at uh, with two blind men, but now we're looking at Jesus with a blind man. You know one of the biggest problems we have today, I think, in the world, in terms, particularly in terms of conversation, is that people don't know how to speak with nuance again. We don't speak with nuance. You know what I mean by speaking with nuance? We don't, we don't know how to qualify statements such that people don't misrepresent or misunderstand what we are saying. See, sometimes people want to see the whole world through black and white. And as a result of that, sometimes not everything is black and white. Sometimes some things are gray, right? And so for you to explain what is gray, you need nuance. You need qualifiers in the statement. I mean, for example, let's say I went out and I needed some tea. And I told the waiter, I said, I want my tea hot. And I say, but not piping hot, you see. I've just nuanced the statement. Hot, but not piping hot. Or maybe I say, I love capitalism. You don't want a nuance, I'm sure. I want capitalism, but one with a social conscience. You see, I have spoken the truth about what I feel about capitalism, but I've nuanced it. And maybe some of you are still struggling to understand. I think one example that would, you know, drive home the point is if I approach someone and say, I love your hair. 
The one you bought, not the one you couldn't grow. You know, well, well, yeah, yeah. So, I, so I said it. What's wrong with you? you know, that's why we need nuance in this. You understand? Right? You don't want them to get the wrong impression. Nuance helps. Okay, I apologize to any. I don't apologize anything. <laughs> it helps us to avoid extremes of misinterpretation. That's why we need qualifiers. And it also helps us to douse the tension that exists in a lot of our social conversations and the things that go on in society. If only we could have more nuance and more qualifiers. That is why I'm sure none of us um, uh, who are maybe uh, unmarried here or about to marry will be annoyed with this kind of proposal, for instance. This guy came to meet this girl and he went down on one knee. He brought out a ring from his pocket. At this point, she already started saying, no, no. I don't know why she said no. Because you know what happened. But she's like, no, no, no. I saw her recently. The girl ran away, ran back, slapped the guy. As he slapped the guy, the guy got up. He said, he's not doing it again. The girl started saying, no, please. So this guy gets down one knee, brings out the ring. The girl is excited. And he says, babe, do you think you might want to marry me within a couple of years? <laughs> Only if life with me is something you consider will be delightful. And provided you decide not to relocate. With the minor condition of joining my church. Assuming my economic status improves. After I've possibly completed my parents' house and probably settled all my outstanding debts. I have an alternative. Babe, will you marry me? You see... Nuance is important, but there are some places where nuance is actually inappropriate. Because sometimes if you overqualify a statement, what happens? It becomes less clear what you are saying. And so what happens as someone has said that you, can kill, you may not be able to kill somebody with one cut, but you can kill somebody with a thousand cuts. And in many cases as well, when it comes to statements, you can murder a statement with what? A thousand qualifications. But it's important for us to be blunt, to know in blunt and clear terms where you stand with the most important people in life and the most important things in life. And can I say none more important than the person of Jesus Christ and what you think about him. Listen, there comes a time where you must come to know Jesus neither in a hazy way or an overqualified way. Why? Because to know Jesus in a very qualified way is to benefit from him in a very limited way. But by God's special grace, someone today is going to meet Jesus at the core of who he is. I pray that you will meet him without any kind of qualification because Jesus is not nuanced when he needs not be. Why? Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus can be blunt. You see, in the passage that we read today, Jesus is absolutely blunt. He's blunt about why he came. He's blunt about what happens to those that reject him. And he's very blunt about what happens to those that accept him. Glory, hallelujah, Jesus can be blunt. And so my prayer is at the end of this sermon, you'll be clear about where you stand with Jesus, that you will make a firm decision to make your relationship with him absolutely clear in terms that he has defined. Why? Because I can guarantee if you do that, you will never regret that choice. Because Jesus is very blunt about those who make that choice with him. Amen. Amen. And so, we're going to look at this sermon. Jesus can be blunt, yeah. I thought I said it already, right? Yeah. 
under, under, under two headings. See them. Under three headings. I'll be a traditional man. He's blunt. Jesus is blunt about our condition. Jesus is blunt about our questions, and Jesus is blunt about our solution. All right, our, blunt about our condition, blunt with our questions, and blunt about our solution. But you know what? Let's pray and ask Jesus for His presence before we get into this. Lord Jesus, you are the King of all kings. You are the Lord of all lords. You are the Judge of all judges. We need you here to come and judge our hearts, but we need you here to still uplift us by your special grace. Lord Jesus, do something, O oh God, for someone in this place. Do something new, O oh God, in our lives. Yes, there is a way we know you, but there is a stronger way we want to know you. And we don't want to have a nuanced relationship with you. We need it to be very clear so that, O oh Lord, the things that come from that, the identity that you reveal to us will be very clear as well. So do a new work with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, one quick secret. I know some of you say it's not a secret. One secret about me. I wish I had a daughter. I did. I, I won't lie. I wish I had a daughter. I don't wish I have a daughter now. You understand? No, no. That ship has sailed. You know, I just, I, I you know, sometimes when I go through um, uh, uh, this place where they sell clothes, you know, and you have all the options. The pinkish, the, they are, they're like 18 different types of pink alone. You know, I just see all these things. I just want a daughter to dote her. But God gave me two boys, and they're not bad, we thank God, right? <laughs> but let me say this, as a father, right, there are, there are certain perks that you get for having boys. There are certain perks that you have for having boys. One of them is this, you are able to pass on to them particular traditions, particular traditions. Don't forget the Bible says what? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. He says, bring up your children in the way of the Lord. So I've been bringing up my children, at least my sons, in the way of the Lord by passing on to them specific, important, godly wisdom. I've been indoctrinating them in the world of professional wrestling. <laughs> really important. Really important as a man to your sons. Because there's a sort of bond. You know what I mean by professional wrestling? WWF, all of that. So you see, the ladies are looking blank, exactly why you are excluded from this. So I've been bringing them up in these things. And you see, many people have a wrong view about wrestling. You see, most uh, mothers, when they're growing up, say, this thing, they're just fighting. They're fighting. Put it off. It's not real violence. They're not really hurting themselves. Most of us know that it's scripted. But you, feel, you see, we miss the magic of what wrestling is about. It's not so much about the violence. It's not even about the athletic prowess of the, of the people there. Really, wrestling is First and foremost, about storytelling. It's about storytelling. These characters are telling you certain stories, but they put it in extreme ways, like the, 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 the fight between good and evil. That's why somebody that is evil is really evil, and somebody that is good is really good. You know, the people that cheat, should they win? Uh, then when, you now, when they now win, you feel very angry. And then you get very um, emotionally attached to specific characters. You become this person's fan. And so they know the trick of this thing, and that's why it usually hits children first. And so I've been trying to bring my children into this thing. And you know one of the things the characters do? If they want to really leverage that emotional connection with the children and they want to stamp it, they come up with catchphrases, with specific catchphrases. So I've been trying to teach my children catchphrases. Some of the most popular wrestlers, like take in the 80s, the most popular wrestler that captivated a lot of us as we were growing up was a guy called 
Hulk Hogan. And Hulk Hogan had this line. He used to say, what you gonna do when Hulkamania runs wild on you? But my children are not that much into Hulk Hogan. Yes, they're not that much into Hulk Hogan. But after the 80s, you know, the WWF went into a bit of a problem. But in the late 90s, they came coming back. They are roaring back in what is called the Attitude Era. And the biggest star, the biggest wrestler, and probably the biggest wrestler in terms of the wrestling industry after, you know, of all time, it was a guy called Stone Cold Steve Austin. And after he has finished saying his lines, what they call cutting a promo, he'll say, he'll end it with him, say, and that's the bottom line, because it was West, it was Southern. And that's the bottom line, why? Because Stone Cold said so. My boys are now having a wonderful time. <laughs> but one of their favorites, you see, at the time of Stone Cold, he was injured, but one of the other guys that carried the company and has become the biggest star that the wrestling industry has produced outside of wrestling. For the last four or five years, he's been the biggest star in Hollywood. He's a guy called Dwayne Johnson, but we knew him as The Rock. And after he's finished speaking, you know what he would say? He would say, if you smell what The Rock is cooking. Ah, you know it. So that was where he ended for me. But sadly, they entered into something called the PG era. And the biggest star then was a guy called John Cena. And John Cena, not usually when he's cutting a promo, but he's about to do a big move. You know what he used to tell his, when the guy is on the floor, you see, Gloria is there, Gloria, you bring up your, your boy as well. When the guy is on the floor and he's about to do something, Sina will look at him and say something like this, you can't see me. Ah, ah, you see, yeah, you are pretending. He says, you can't see me. By that he's saying, even though physically you can see me, the truth is that what? You can't see me. You see, our levels are so far apart that what? You can't see me. He says, even though you think you know me because we are here in the ring together, the truth is, as per knowing me, you are as good as blind because you know what? You can't see me. And when you read verse 39 to 41, it is as though Jesus is telling the Pharisees, guess what? You can't see me. He said, are we blind as well? So you are seeing me, but you are blind. Why? Because being blind is a function of your view about me. The Pharisees had a view about Jesus. You see, the context of this thing in verse 35, it says, after they threw him out, who was the man that they threw out? It was a blind man they threw out of the synagogue. The Pharisees threw him out. The larger context is in verse 1 to 8 of chapter 9. Jesus has healed this blind man, right? And Jesus had left the blind man. But then the Pharisees have conversations with this blind man. They are trying to prove that Jesus is a terrible person. In verse, uh, in, verse, in verse 16, they say Jesus was a sinner. In verse 24, they say Jesus, they don't know where he, that they, no, sorry, in verse 16, they said, we know that he hasn't come from God. In verse 24, they said he's a sinner. And in verse 29, they say, we don't know where he came from. Their view of Jesus was distorted. They were seeing him, but they couldn't see him. And what Jesus is essentially saying to them is this. It is possible for you to be physically seen and yet be spiritually blind. The irony of this whole thing is that if you read it from verse 1 to 41, it starts off with the fact that they were trying to examine who Jesus was. But by the time you get to verse 40, it becomes an examination about them. At this point, they are now asking, what are we blind to? You may have seen Jesus, 
You may have experienced Jesus in some way. Question, are you blind to? Because you see, the blindness here is not a blindness of our physical eyes. No, Paul speaks about it in Ephesians 4, verse 18. I'm using the New King James Version. He says about pagans, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Why? Because of the blindness of their heart. You can be physically seeing, but your heart can be blind. And it has everything to do with your view about Jesus. Now here's the bad thing about this condition of blindness of the heart. It can be made worse. How? Through the perils of success. Through the perils of success. You know the Pharisees, when we hear about the Pharisees, one of the things that you may forget or not quickly say about the Pharisees is that they were extremely successful people in their endeavor. Not only did they have material wealth, but in verses 28, 29, they talked about being disciples of Moses. Right? They were intellectually um, at the elite level in the society then. And one of the things that you see here is that the more we ascend in life, the greater the chance of our spiritual blindness to become worse. And let me break it down a little bit. You see, the Pharisees, uh, in verse 28, uh, verse 20, 20 to 23, if you read it, what happens is that the, the guy's parents come. They ask him, do you know this guy? Say, ah, we know him, he's our, he's our son. All right. Was he born blind? Ah, the guy was born blind. Uh, what do you think about this Jesus? Ah, well, look, we, 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 we don't know anything about it. The guy is old, though. He's old enough. He's of age. Ask him. And in verse 23, it says why those people said that. Do you know why they said that? They said because they were scared of the Pharisees and the rulers of the synagogue because they are threatened to throw out anybody who had a positive view about Jesus Christ. You see, there's something about having more money, more authority, more fame, more knowledge, that at some point, especially because people around will let you know that you have these things. You know here in Lagos, <laughs> before you know, you go into a hotel, they quickly size you up, they are opening the door for you. You get into the airport, you want to use toilet in the airport, there's somebody saying that I want to put soap for you. They are calling you sir, even though you are 26. And at some point, if somebody calls you sir 26, by 28, you'll be wondering when a 58-year-old is not calling you sir. Because as Proverbs tells us, you become wise in your own eyes. And he says, have you seen somebody that's wise in their own eyes? There is a better, there's better chance for a fool than what? For them. You see, at some point, you start to drink the Kool-Aid. At some point, you start to believe what people are saying about you. And you become wise in your own eyes. And when you allow them to keep saying those things about you, at some point, as you had with the parents here of the boy, people start being intimidated by you. And they are unable to speak the truth to you very clearly and bluntly. And so what must we do? Let me say this. You must combat this with everything that you have. And I'm speaking to people who, look, almost virtually almost all of us that I can look at here have ascended at least in one way or the other in life, at least within the last decade. And so I'm speaking to us. How do you combat this very quickly? It's by doing two things, seeking and permitting. Seeking and permitting. First, first with seeking. Let me be honest with you. And I think you need to be honest with yourself. Seeking. Start with recognizing that it's natural 
that the more successful you are in life, the more that some people's advice to you becomes irrelevant. It's just true. Certain ways certain people spoke to you at some point, they become irrelevant. They've almost exhausted their wisdom to be able to speak to you because where you are at now, they may not be able to understand. It is true. So start by recognizing that. But also, and this is really critical, the fact that those people, the fact that those people cannot benefit you with their advice now doesn't mean that all people will not benefit you with their advice now. Are you following? That is, even though some people at some point start, their advice seems to be irrelevant, and I'm not saying you should dishonor those people. There are still people whose advice will be absolutely crucial for you. You may not always need the advice of those people, but you always need the advice of some people. And so what do you have to do? Actively seek it. And when I say actively seek it, please also actively seek people that you know, one, though they respect you, they will not be intimidated by you. Though they respect you, they will not be what? Intimidated by you. For some reason in this country, some people, this is why I try not to say it. I try not to say it, literally. If I'm going to a place where I don't know anybody, I try not to say that I'm a pastor. I have seen, I have been in a place where we were playing games with somebody, playing games, doing everything. Somebody came in and I said, ah, Pastor Femi, this person that was on my team, that we're all jumping together, and I said, oh, get off to this side. She started shaking. <laughs> Let me tell you this. If I'm looking for advice on my life, I'm not going to meet that person. I'm not going to meet her. Some people have, have, I, I speak to, they're already shaking. It's true. And I, I don't want to blame them for doing all those things, but eh? it's the anointing. Ah. That is true. <laughs> That's true. But it's not my own. So, yeah, yeah. Ah, but you set me a trap. I can't talk about The anointing is there. It's true. All right. Okay. If the anointing makes you shake, then I, I, there's nothing I can do about that. <laughs> but please seek people who, though they respect you, notice I put the word there, respect, but what? They are not intimidated by you. Jesus at some point, and another book says about the Pharisees, he said, they sit in Moses' seat. He could acknowledge who they are. But at the same time, Jesus, as we see in verse 38, 39, 40, 41, he spoke bluntly to them. You need to seek out people that, though they respect you, they are not, what, intimidated by you. The second one is, after you sort them out, please permit them to speak. I was once invited, this is a number of years ago, I was invited to speak to a couple about certain issues that were going on in their marriage. So I waited for, they spoke about the issues um, for about an hour plus, over an hour. I listened, listened intently. So by the time they finished, I first start, I start with the first person, the first part. So I say, this and this and this and this and this and this is what is wrong. You need to change this and this. And I could see this part was struggling as the spouse was listening to me. You know, it, it was difficult to hear those things. The person was struggling and kept quiet. Now, beforehand, you would have thought this person was the one that had most of the problem. Then I turned to the second person, the one who was not expecting that I would say anything to them. And I now start saying, hey, but you too. You see, this and this and this. By the time I got to the third this, the person just said, ah. <laughs> Pastor, it's because you're a man of God, though. That's why I opened up. Oh. Because normally I don't open up to people. You see, that was the most respectful way of saying, 
please mind yourself. <laughs> Do you understand? It's like, you're a man of God. I can't kill it. But it's like, I opened up my business to you. Did I ask you to now come and start insulting me? So after that, I did not say a word to the person. I didn't say a word again. The person spoke for a while. And I didn't say a word of, I didn't give a word of advice to that person for over one year until the person called me when they were in a disaster. In other words, I was sought after, but I was not permitted to speak. Listen to me. If you want to combat the hardness of heart, the blindness of heart, that is in, the one thing you need is humility. It's not just humility with people, but humility with Jesus. If you seek out someone, if you are seeking out Jesus, but not permitting Jesus to speak into your life, can I say that you are just wasting your time? If you are seeking out people to bluntly speak into your life, and yet you don't give them the permission, you will have a problem. Let them know that they have permission. They may be wrong. But don't start pushing them back. And like, ah, when did all of these things start? Is it because I allowed you? Is it because we are now familiar? Are we on the same level? No. If Jesus is going to clearly speak to you, you must come to the place of humility where you seek him out. And then you permit him to say, here am I, Lord, speak. And in the same way, as he puts people within your circle, he will be speaking through those people. Seek them out. And do what? Permit them to speak as well. Amen. And I pray that as you do so, God will open our eyes and start to remove our blindness. Amen. Amen. So that takes me to the second point. That was five six. Let's talk about the blind man. You see, one of the things I like about this blind man, I won't lie, this story has, it's a little bit funny if you read it. I've given this blind man, this blind man a title. You know what the title is? It's a title in the whole Bible. This guy is confirmed the number one troll of the Bible. You know, people trolls are people that just specialize in trying to annoy you, right? That's what this guy did. This guy did this with the Pharisees. Let me explain. If you read from 1 to, 20, 1 to uh, about 28, 20, uh, 1 to 30, sorry, 1 to 34, you'll see what this guy did very quickly. After they asked him how he received the sight, in verse 15, he told them Jesus did it. After that, they accused Jesus of being a Sabbath breaker, and then they asked his opinion about Jesus, he said in verse 17, he's a prophet. After his parents deflected their questioning, because they were questioning the parents, they deflected their questioning to him. They then asked the man that he exposed Jesus as a sinner. He's like, sinner or not, I don't know. But me, I shall know that. I can what? I can see. I can see you people. Can you see me? You see? That was verse 25. But then he started to sense that these people's unease because they repeatedly were asking him questions about how Jesus made him see. So at some point he said, this is 26, 27, it's like you people are not listening to me. Are you so obsessed with him that you want to be his disciples? At this point they became angry. He said, he got under their skin. They now offend. Do you know who we are? We are Moses' disciples. You are steeped in sin. And knowing we, we don't know. This Jesus, we are Moses' disciples, but this Jesus, we don't know where he came from. Then when verse 30, the guy said, ah, that's remarkable. You don't know where he came from. But this guy has opened my own eyes. And I can see. How many people do you know that don't come from God that can open people's eyes to see? He was showing them the illogicality of their statement. At that point, they just got angry. They threw the guy out. Number one troll of the Bible. But I should say something too, though. You know, the enemy of your enemy is not necessarily your friend. The fact that this guy had become the enemy of Jesus' enemies does not mean that he truly understood who Jesus was. Because this same guy, he said, Jesus, that Jesus, is a prophet. 
Then he said, regarding as a sinner, he said, he may be a sinner. He may not be a sinner. I don't really know. I should know that he opened my eyes. He said Jesus was a prophet, but he wasn't sure that Jesus was a sinner. And so later, when Jesus finds him, Jesus asks him a question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you know what he says? He says, I don't know who he is. Can you show him to me? In other words, there was a problem. He asked Jesus. He says, show me. He brings this question to Jesus. Show me who this Son of Man is. And Jesus was about to get blunt with this question. Because this man needed an upgrade in his understanding of Jesus. And I pray that anybody here who needs that upgrade in their understanding of Jesus will receive it today. And so, he talks about the Son of Man. And please permit me, we'll go a little bit, small, small theology about the Son of Man. You see, because last week when Emmanuel was preaching to us, he talked about not Jesus as being the Son of something. But you see, most times, when we think about Jesus... And we're trying to defend Jesus outside even of the Christian faith. We talk about Jesus as the Son of God, isn't it? We know Jesus as the Son of God. And when we think of Jesus as the Son of God, we normally tie that to mean that Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. Because if he's the Son of God, God is divine, then Jesus is the Son of God is divine. There are very few scriptures in the New Testament, just one or two, three, that when they refer to Jesus as the Son of God, is actually t- talking about Jesus' divinity. In fact, the title Son of God is often talking about Jesus' humanity, but Jesus' humanity as under the lineage of David. That's why in the, in the passage that Emmanuel preached last week, Jesus was referred to as the Son of David. Romans 1, 3 to 4 tells us, the Son of David is also the Son of God. Listen, as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. Through the spirit of holiness was appointed to what? The Son of God. Empowered by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So last week when it says Son of David, it's saying that Jesus is the Son of David. And David was the Son of God. And every other king that came in David's lineage was the Son of God. Why? Because they were ruling in God's stead. Do you understand that? God was the king of his people, but God is in heaven. So God is going to rule through this Davidic king. And so the Davidic king is the son of God. That's what Psalm 2 is all about. Are we following? So when we talk about the son of God, we are mainly talking about Jesus' humanity, but as the Messiah, the king in David's line. But Jesus referred to the son of man here. Now let me take you to a passage where Jesus is before in really a mock trial before he's actually crucified. And these two titles come together. The, the high priest and the people around Jesus are questioning Jesus. Matthew 26. They're questioning Jesus and they said, tell us. The high priest reminded, said, reminded, uh, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. Right? Messiah again in David's line, the son of God. Jesus does not say he's not. But he then says something further. Listen to what he says. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you have said so. That is, yes, I am the son of God. But from now on you will see what? The son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming in the clouds of heaven. And do you know what they said after this? They they went insane. Why? The high priest tore his clothes and said he has spoken blasphemy. Do you know why? 
Because Jesus, when he uses the Son of Man, the high priest is a student of the Bible. He understands what he's saying. Jesus is referring to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, where in heaven there is a throne. The ancient of days, God is sitting on that throne. Nobody can approach him. The only person that is able to approach this ancient of days, look at it. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven, and he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence, a divine human being. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and all peoples of every language did what? You cannot, in the Jewish understanding, if you are not God, you cannot be worshipped. So this son of man is, a, is like a human being, but he's a divine human being. And so when the high priests hear it, they are saying, when Jesus said, I am the son of man, they're saying blasphemy. Why? Because he's claiming to be what? God. He's saying that I should be worshipped. He's saying I have sovereign power. He's saying I have sovereign authority over all the earth as the son of man. Listen, we are, we've, Jesus is much more than we think. We've over-domesticated him. And let me tell you someone who domesticated this guy. The blind man. You know why? If success has its perils, suffering also has its own perils. Fela says, suffer day for Africa. Kwa, kwa, kwa. <laughs> suffering is a bad thing, but suffering can, it can change your mind. You know what happened? This guy, when Jesus healed him, after verse 8, do you know what happened? Jesus, when Jesus healed the guy, he didn't, look, he didn't find Jesus again. No. He didn't look for Jesus. He didn't search for Jesus. Why? Because the thing that the guy deemed as his biggest problem in life, it has been solved. Why does he need Jesus again? The prophet has come. He has healed me. And therefore, I don't need him again. But when Jesus finds him in 35, 36, and 37, Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the guy said what? He said, I don't know who he is. When Jesus then tells him who he is, he now worships him. What does that mean? That before he knew Jesus was the son of man, this man, though he was blind and he had been healed, when he was healed, he wasn't totally healed. He was still blind. Are you following me? He saw Jesus as a prophet. He was healed and he didn't need Jesus again. And therefore, he was still spiritually blind. So when Jesus then told him who he really was, he now got down and now started to worship Jesus. What was happening to this blind man is that his poverty, his suffering, all the bad issues that he had gone in life had now started to make him to create Jesus in his image. May God deliver us from creating Jesus in the image of our problems. He was still blind to Jesus. And Jesus then had to show him, I am much more than what you think. I am actually what? The son of man. I pray, God, some of us need an upgrade in our view about Jesus today. Let me tell you, it is possible to have experienced Jesus. Maybe you, are, you sing sweet songs to Jesus. It is possible to have experienced Jesus, but still don't know truly Jesus at his core identity. And it is the way you see him that you will get something from him. If I ask some of us today, if Aliko Dangote came and he came to meet you and he said, look, one million naira or one week of my time. A lot of people say, what time? What's time? Give me one million naira. Why? Because you are looking at him through the lens of the problem. Ah, I need to go and settle this bill. I need to go and settle this debt. One million naira will carry me to Dubai. You have seen him. 
in light of the stage and problem that you are, and you are unable to get that from him, which is actually more important. Am I speaking to somebody? The way we see Jesus is many times through the lens of the problems that we have. But Jesus is not just a miracle worker. Jesus is not just a prophetic healer. Jesus is not just a financial empowerer. Jesus is not just a soul provider. He's not just that. Jesus is much more. He is what? The son of man. If all you can ever do is to ask Jesus for something here and there and you're not worshipping Jesus, can I suggest to you that you are still blind? He is to be worshipped. Your biggest problem is not lack of breakthrough or a lack of miracle. Your biggest problem is who you are not worshipping. I am not talking about not having a relationship with Jesus. I'm talking about not having the right relationship with him. And that is the kind of blindness that often we suffer. But Jesus, thank God for Jesus. He is not, <laughs> Jesus does not suffer from humility complex. You know what humility complex is? Humbi now, humility is humility. Humility is fake humility. What is humility? Humility is this kind of thing. Now, let's say, uh, okay, bimbo now. They say they want to introduce bimbo. And they say bimbo, and bimbo is uh, maybe some kind of professor. And they say bimbo, uh, I want to introduce to you professor bimbo, and, and Bimbo looks and says, Who, oh, me? No, I'm not here. Me, pro she's the professor. I'm like, me, professor. That's humility. <laughs> Do you understand? It is a lie. Humility is, is denying who you are. And when you deny who you are, do you know what you are doing? You are blocking access of the blessing that comes from that identity to people. Should I say that again? If, it, if, if, they, if somebody, God forbid, somebody collapses here and, you know, I wasn't around, I wasn't preaching, the anointing wasn't here, Emmanuel was here. And, you know, no one could raise the person. Follow. So, so we now needed a medical doctor. We now needed a medical, what's the problem now? So we needed a medical doctor. And Susha was here. Right? Forget that she treats goats and uh, sheep. <laughs> but she, she went to medical school. Susha was here. I'm going to say, doctor, 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 who is a doctor? And somebody said, Susha is a doctor. And Susha says, me, I'm not a doctor. Do you know what has happened? She has denied access for the blessing that of being a doctor to that person. Are we together? Jesus is not too humble enough. He's not, he's not suffering from humility. Jesus will not deny who he is. There is a trustworthy saying, and Paul says it in 2 Timothy 2 verse 13. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny what? Who he is. Jesus is not waiting for you to now say, how, how, how can I please him? Somebody here may be saying, ah, I have tried, I have tried to get Jesus. My friend, the blind man was not looking for Jesus. Guess what happened in verse 36? He said, Jesus came and what? found him. Jesus is here to find somebody today in the name of Jesus. Listen, that's why Paul says that, do not say in your heart, who is, shall ascend to heaven to bring down Christ from, he, from heaven? Who shall, shall go to the deep to bring Christ from hell? No, this is not the word of faith which we preach. Here is it. It is near you. It is nigh thee. Sorry, it is nigh thee. And it is in your heart that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Jesus is not the kind of savior that comes and says, pay something, or says, do something. No, he is here to find you if you will humble yourself before him. He will not deny himself. He will not deny himself. When we come with our questions to him, he will give us a blunt answer about himself. Why? 
because he wants to open himself to us. But that brings me to the last thing. He's blunt with our solution. You see, someone here may say this. I'm actually scared of coming to Jesus. Even worse, I am scared of Jesus coming to me. Why? Because if Jesus knew who I really was, and please hear this, if Jesus knew who I really was, he would judge me. Because I'm reading verse 39 and verse 40. He says that he has come to judge. He has come to judge. The reason I stopped going to church or the reason why sometimes it's hard to come to church is because of the judgmentalism of Christians. But now my eyes are clear. I can see where they get their judgmentalism from. It seems like Jesus himself is the number one judge. That's why I don't want him to come near me. Can I speak to somebody saying that to say, you are more right than you think. You're actually more, more right than you think. Jesus is the number one judge. And in fact, when Jesus says that he's judging here, it starts in an earlier chapter in chapter 5. In fact, he ties being the son of man to being a judge in verse 22 and verse 27 of chapter 5. He says this, for judgment, no, uh, verse 22 and verse chapter 5. Oh, you're not there. I didn't put it. Moreover, the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the son. And he has given him authority to judge. Why? Because he is the son of man. And let me even press it further. He is not just judging you now if he comes. He is going to judge at the end of time. Acts 17 verse 31 says, God has appointed a day in which he is going to judge the world by justice through the man that he has appointed. And he has proven this by what? Raising Jesus from the dead. He is not just going to judge now. He wasn't just judging then. He is going to come and judge at the end of time. So you are right. He will find you wanting. On the final day in Matthew 25 verse 31 and 32, he said he will sit on his glorious throne as the son of man. He will judge and the way he's going to judge, he is going to judge as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he's going to look and say, ha, you're a goat. And later in that chapter 25, he says, it will be absolutely terrifying for those who will be like that on that day. Oh, you are very right. But before you say that doesn't make sense, I'm not making any particular statement here, but the NSAS report, uh, report has come out. There are a couple of recommendations there, and it has polarized people. Here's what I do know, that all the people that are polarizing, to a large extent, the people are all asking for justice. If you found someone guilty and you said the person should go scot-free, how many of us would like it? And so what kind of judge would Jesus be if he finds you guilty and then allows you to go scot-free? What Jesus does is the clamor of all our hearts. We are asking for justice. Yes, if you see judgment only in this way, you should be terrified. You are very right. But let me say something that you are missing and this is where you are not totally right. Do you know that there are some that will rejoice on that day? Because he said he will separate them as a shepherd separates what? Goats from sheep. Yes, those that are goats will be absolutely, should be actually terrified. But the sheep will rejoice, wouldn't they? They would actually rejoice that 
Now they are found to be in right with the Lord. Now there is eternal bliss for them. Have you read Psalm, 70, Psalm 98 before? Psalm 98 verse 7 to uh, 9, 8 says this. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Why? Let them sing before the Lord for he comes what? To judge the earth. There is a rejoicing that comes. Not just because Jesus is coming to hug people. Not because Jesus is coming to wipe away every tear. There is a rejoicing that comes. Why? Because he is coming to judge the earth. What? He will judge the earth with righteousness and the people with equity. One of the greatest cries of the human heart is that can we find a righteous judge? And he says that people will rejoice when he comes. But then you then say, ah. This seems to be an unjust judge because I have one example, one evidence that I want to submit. If he's a righteous judge, I am a goat. But my Christian neighbor, he is also a goat as well. Yes, he wakes up every morning and he sings the praises of Jesus, but he's always blocking my car and he doesn't apologize for it. He doesn't pay his levy on time and he'll say he has paid. How is it that Christians will now be sheep and then we, like all of us, will be goats? We should not, me and that guy should be goats. And let me tell you, go one step further. Let me tell you, every Christian, according to this, is also a goat. We are all goats. You are all goats. We are all goats. According to that standard, you are correct. And then the question is, how then will he not condemn me when he judges and condemn my sin? You know, when I was a kid, when I was a small goat. <laughs> Sick people that will speak to you bluntly like this. That's what I said. When I was a kid, I always I was terrified when I had done something wrong and my father was coming home. How many of you were terrified at the horn? You knew the horn of your father. When my father was coming and I knew I had done something wrong, I was terrified. Why was I terrified? Because I knew that once he comes, and it's the thing that I have done is presented to him, right? My father was a righteous judge. He will judge the issue and see that this, my son, is in the wrong. And that will attract my father's wrath, that punishment. So before, in anticipation of the punishment, because I could anticipate that the judge was coming from his office or something, he is a righteous judge. He will judge me what to be in the wrong. Do you understand? And that happened a number of times. And yet, when my father wasn't coming from his office, when my dad was coming from a far country, when he traveled, and I knew he was coming back, do you know how I always felt? Even if I had done something wrong, I always felt, I always was looking forward with anticipation. Why? Was I looking forward to the anticipation? Because I knew he had won, gone to a far country. And he was coming with goodies. But you say, but had you not done something that was wrong? Yes, I had done something that was wrong. But I knew this. When he was coming from that far country, when he was coming, this righteous judge, when he was going to judge me, he was not going to judge me on the basis of what I had done right or wrong. He was going to judge me on the basis of being his son. Because he had gone from a very far country and he had been away from his son for such a long time. And so the judgment that he was then executing at that point was not based on what I had done. It was based on what status I had with him because I was his son. The reason why the rivers and all 
all the creation can rejoice, Christians can rejoice when Jesus is coming. For he is coming from a very far country. Farther than we can think about is because when he comes, he's not going to judge us based on what we have done. He's going to judge us based on whether or not we are his children. And then you ask, how can I be his child? Well, just do like the blind man. To be in his child is to be in Christ. It's not to do more good works. It is to be in Christ. How can I be in Christ? The blind man worshipped. But before the blind man worshipped, what did he do? He believed in him. He believed in him. And he then said, how does that then work? Please, let us read Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 3 together. Put it up. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are what? What is their state? What is the result? No condemnation. Say it with me. No condemnation. Let's say it one more time. No condemnation. Why? Because of what they have done, but because they are what? In Christ. But then what happens to the sin that God must condemn if he's a righteous judge? Does he not condemn that sin? Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so, he condemned the flesh of Christ. Muni, your sin has been condemned already in Christ. Dara, your sin has been condemned in Christ. Lord, your sin has been condemned in Christ. God is not an unrighteous judge. Why? Listen to the gospel. The gospel can be summarized in this. Jesus, the judge, came also to be judged. He came to be judged on your behalf so that when he judges you, he will not judge you as per whether or not you did right or wrong things. He will judge you as per whether or not you are a child of God. Can we hear this? I pray that we hear this, Lord God Almighty, open our eyes. Clear the spiritual blindness. Receive your people to you. Let us have a deeper relationship with Christ. Let us see that he is the son of man that is to be worshipped because he is the son of man that is to be lived. for listening to the gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.